Listener supported. WNYC Studios. I think it's just about breaking down some barriers of what is what is expected of women versus men and how men are just historically able to move more freely through society just doing what they do and women have to like keep everything tight and like look perfect and not fart and not burp and like I don't know um just kind of clearing that away and just showing how we are actually um and showing how horny and stupid we are it's just really important to me (laughs) hello I'm Dessa and this is work it the podcast a compilation of some of the best moments from the live event and that was the one and only Lisa Hanawalt, the woman behind Tuca and Birdie, Bojack Horseman, Coyote Dog Girl, and Hot Dog Taste Test. Plus, no surprise, she's also a podcaster. For this year's keynote, Paula Schumann spoke with Lisa Hanawalt. Paula is the Vice President of New Show Development at WNYC Studios. During the conversation, Paula refers to a tweet and a few other fun things Lisa has made, but do not worry, podcast listeners. You can find links in the show notes so you can see them for yourself. Now here's Paula and Lisa. So welcome. I love your work. One of the reasons I love your work so much is because you, and we talked about this earlier, you are more of a rule breaker than most people I know. And when I'm watching your show, I think something... I think it's going in a certain direction, and I think there are certain rules for what's happening, and then something totally different happens. Um, So we will get to that. Mm -hmm. But I wanted to start with, um, because this is a women's podcasting conference, I wanted to start with clothes. So (laughs) (laughs) specifically something that you wore to the Emmys. Oh, yes. This was made by my friend Lacey, who is the creator of Big Bud Press, which is an amazing clothing company. Uh, And she's just someone that I met in New York years and years ago, but back before she made clothes. And then suddenly she started this company, and now it's like this huge thing. You see their rainbow-colored jumpsuits everywhere. Um, And I designed this pattern of these plant ladies, and then she was just like, do you want me to make you an outfit? I can make you an outfit. And she just like whipped it up. Yeah, you are one, you're one of the few people I know who really combine your work and your clothes so well. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Have you worn this outfit since? No, it was kind of made last minute, so it's a little okay. like it was screen printed very quickly. Um, but I think we're going to make more of them. Ooh. Mm-hmm. Um, so for those of you who don't know, the character on this featured on this suit is Draca. Yeah, right? none of them are specifically Draca, but they are her cousins. They are her cousins. Yes. And Draca is a... She's a plant woman. Um, she's like a Dracaena plant specifically, I think. Dracaena plant? Yeah. What are the characteristics of a Dracaena plant? I don't really know. Okay. I have one. It's dying. Um. <laughs> I actually have uh, a little outtake of Draca from Tuca and Birdie. <laughs> you can see it right there on the confidence monitor. So again, going back to the fact that Tuca and Birdie kind of goes in unexpectedly bizarre directions. Um, The show itself, for those of you who don't know, is about two 30-something birds. Mm -hmm. Um, Tuca, played by Tiffany Haddish, and Birdie, played by Ali Wong. In some respects, Birdie is like, you know, neurotic, anxious, shy, has big ambitions, but is too scared to you know, follow them sometimes, and Tuca is adventurous and confident and a hot mess, and Mm -hmm. of course, their actual personalities are, you know, more nuanced and complex, but I think, at least for me, watching the show definitely feels, I'm going to get rid of 
uh, topless Draco for a second. Um, <laughs> to me, feels like, you know, very easy to identify with both and very easy to identify with their friendship. Mm -hmm. um, I and will say uh, all the writers in the writer's room were birdies. They were all birdies. Yeah. So <laughs> <laughs> talk about that. What do you mean by that? Oh, I just mean like during their interviews, they were all like, oh, yeah, I'm a birdie. <laughs> Which I thought I, was really interesting. I'm a birdie and a tuca. Yeah. What are I, you? I'm strongly both. You're strongly both. Yeah. Yeah. I definitely, like, I do things a lot where my boyfriend is like, you are such a tuca right now. So I'm just, like, a little bit impulsive and selfish and loud sometimes, but that doesn't always come out in right. public. It will in a few minutes. Mm. And is he a speckle? Speckle is birdies. He's a speckle, yes. How do you describe a speckle? Uh, just, like, a good, solid dude. It's funny, like a lot of people watch the first episode and they're like, I thought that Speckle was going to turn out to be this like toxic boyfriend character and then he never really went that way. He's just like, he's good. And I'm like, yeah, there are some good men out there. Um, and I, it's funny, like it's, I didn't expect that reaction. Um, people hadn't quite seen that in TV for a long time. The, 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 that kind of bird? Yeah, that specific kind of bird. <laughs> Does anybody, I don't know who's watching Tuka Birdie, but are there a hands, show of hands for, who's a Tuka? Shout, <laughs> shout if you're a Tuka. I love her. Okay, shout mildly if you're a Birdie. <laughs> and what if you're a Speckle? No Speckles. I definitely want a Speckle in my life. Speckles are good. Um, <laughs> <laughs> one of the things in my vast research that I did for this um, was uh, looking at a New York Times article by Amanda Hess, and she said something mm -hmm. that I loved, which is, um, the animalism of Hanimalt's work helps reveal parts of women we rarely see on screen, the strangest, horniest, hungriest parts. <laughs> <laughs> and you actually said in that interview that it was very important to me to show that women are gross. So one of the things I wanted to ask you is, again, where does this show come from? Why do the women in it have to be gross, strange, horny, et cetera? Why is that important to you? I think it's just about breaking down some barriers of what is, what is expected of women versus men and how men are just historically able to move more freely through society, just doing what they do. And women have to like keep everything tight and like look perfect and not fart and not burp and like, I don't know, um, just kind of clearing that away and just showing how we are actually um, and showing how horny and stupid we are. It's just really important to me. <laughs> <laughs> That's your feminist mission. Mm -hmm. We're horny and, idiots. <laughs> well, I have a question. So, you know, we, you are, you know, you created BoJack in terms of like actually BoJack's head face. Like his, his, yeah, you, the look of all the characters came from me right. and the backgrounds and, and such. And when you were going out to make your own show, what were some of the things that you wanted to sort of undo or reverse or evolve from the BoJack world? It's interesting because I never thought I wanted my own TV show. That's not been one of my benchmarks. Um, but uh, working on BoJack for five years, I definitely although I love the show so much and I love Raphael and I love working on it, there are definitely frustrations I had with it where I was like, every time, you know, we see like a Diane or Princess Carolyn story, I just want to stay with them longer. Right. Um, I just want to like explore that. Um, and I'm less interested in some of the other characters. Um, and that world is also, it's funny because even though there's like animal people, I feel like it's a, actually a very structured world where things are very realistic. So I wanted to break that up a little bit and, you know, loosen up the animation and 
Um, I mean, now I'm just like getting into process, but uh, yeah, I mean, there's just a lot of things I wanted to do differently. Okay, so this is gonna be a good segue for me when you talk about doing things differently. I have a video, um, just a short clip from one of my favorite scenes in Tuca and Birdie, um, which is, I think they're in a supermarket and uh, it's the sex bugs. Mm -hmm. So some of you might know them as, I don't know, crabs? Uh, no, they're just sex bugs. Sex bugs. Yeah. But I mean, some of, some of you might have had sex bugs, but you might not have envisioned them in the way that Lisa has envisioned <laughs> sex bugs. So could we have that video, please? Ma'am, are these your sex bugs? <laughs> yes, we will not be shamed. Damn, you all shamed me. Uh, Tuka, I'm not... You assholes want to be on the jury? Mm. <laughs> Absolutely not. All right, although this is highly unorthodox, I'm going to allow this because the traffic heading back to the CSBC headquarters is murderous this time of day, and I just, just cannot. Not. Cool. <laughs> That was Laverne Cox. Oh, I was going to ask you who that was. Uh -huh. um, I love the sex bugs because they're so, I mean, I guess this is a wrong, bad thing to say, but they're very human. Yeah. <laughs> like, I, the fact that you can feel empathy for a sex bug. Um, tell me about that episode. Tell me about where the sex bugs came from. Not literally, but, you know, in your, in your imagination. What's interesting is that was actually the first episode I wrote um, back when we first pitched to Netflix. And they were like, okay, write us a script, and then we'll see if we want to buy it or not. I wrote the sex bugs episode, more or less. Like, it's definitely changed a lot. And Rochelle Williams actually took over and wrote the episode. Um, but it was a version of that, and uh, then they were like, this is great, but this doesn't seem like a first episode, so can you write another one? So then I wrote what ended up being the first episode and moved this to episode four. Sorry, it's boring. Um, and then they ordered the show. Um, but something about this episode, sex bugs were just something I came up with. They're in my mini-comics from like over 10 years ago. Um, me and Raphael made up a song about them. Um, uh, can you sing it? It was like... We know that we disgust you with our inside-outside hugs. We're the sex bugs. It's just like, <laughs> um, Thank you for humoring me. You're welcome. <laughs> um, and I just wanted to show that Birdie has anxiety, and it's not for any particular reason. She just has a panic attack in a grocery store. And it was very funny, like, pitching that, because every... Uh, all the male execs I pitched it to were just like, yeah, but why does she have anxiety? I was like, there is no reason. She just has it. And they're like, but what causes it? <laughs> like, you don't empathize with this at all, do you? It's never. <laughs> um, it was very hard to explain. Um, yeah. I, so that, and I, I like saying that song that she sings in the grocery store. Like, oh, yeah, that song, is, that song is really good. Can you sing that song? Oh, it's that like, she's like, I'm losing my shit for no reason. Like that, yeah. That's right. That happened. That's the same episode. I'm losing my shit. Oh, God. Mm -hmm. um, that's going to be a good mantra. The for no reason part, I think, is very um, soothing. Yeah. There doesn't have to be a reason. I think maybe we changed it so she says for so many reasons, and then all the other people are like, for no reason. They're like, <laughs> no. <laughs> so that sounds very scary to go and pitch your show that involves sex bugs and birds who masturbate and stuff like that yeah. to a room full of TV executives. Um, can you tell me about that? Like, how does that work? There's a lot of people in this room who, you know, are, have work of their own that they are, you know, either out there making right now or planning on making or thinking about making or wanting to take it bigger or wanting to take it smaller. So I think there's a lot of people who can, you know, who would 
who, who are sort of in our place of like having this thing that we want to do, but yeah. then before we pitching. do it, we got to pitch it. I you hate know? pitching. I hate proposals. I, I hate any kind of thing where you have to like explain what the thing is. I'm always like, just give me the money and let me make it. And then I'll show Trust you, me. I'll yeah. show you how good it is. Like I can't explain it, but like you need to. Um, <laughs> so, uh, I think it's just a matter of like practicing it a lot. I practice the pitch a lot. Which is like, like three people in suits behind a table. Oh my God. I mean, at one point I was, when I was like pitching out the first season, it was like a room with like 20 people, like just a long table with like all kinds of people. It was terrifying. Did you stand or sit? I was sitting and I had to like explain the part where like Bertie jerks off in the bathroom and and everyone was just like, (laughs) and I was like, should I go or can I finish the rest of the season? Um, uh, yeah, it's just practicing it and just going in there and just knowing the whole time that it's going to feel like you have food poisoning, but it's fine. You just kind of, I mean, I've like had pitch meetings where I just had like horrible dry mouth the entire time. And I was like, I cannot stop to get a sip of water because I'm going like, to look like Marco Rubio. You know what I mean? Where yes, he's just I like, do. like, I just can't. <laughs> I got to push through and hope that they don't notice. Um, and you, like, you're, you know, it's like 5 p.m. on a Friday and you're just looking into these execs' eyes just totally dead eyed, so bored by everything you're saying. And you're like, well... Are they doing it at 5 p.m. on a Friday to fuck with you? Mm, maybe. I don't know. I think that's just when the meeting was planned, and you're like, fuck. Okay, well, I hope I don't completely bore them. So then you got your own show. I did. Which is huge, especially, I mean, period, huge. I'm but amazed that happened. I'm not amazed, because I think you're wonderful. But it's also, you know, from what I understand... I mean, all industries are pretty male-dominated, but the adult animation industry is like, I mean, I got somewhere on my cards, I got a stat, I don't know, um, that a few years ago, Splitsider ran a piece saying that 47 creators listed for late-night comedy giant Adult Swim's current roster of shows, none were women. Um, Yeah, you know, this was, I mean, I got, it was like the first place my mind went to when the show was canceled, was I just like, was like, I couldn't even crack, like, getting past one season. It's just, it's just so hard. I don't know why it's so hard. Is there something it's, it's, about think, this thing? Is it like... I have so many theories uh, that I can't fully get into. <laughs> it's just, at this moment, it's just, it's really hard. Yeah. I'm not going to stop trying. But, yeah. And, and there's a lot more um, women-created shows coming out mm-hmm. now, which is nice. A lot that are, you know... Um, down the pipeline. Like, I think Bless the Hearts just came out on Fox, and that's mm-hmm. a woman-created show. And um, There's the animated one on Amazon, too. Is it Raphael? Undone? Yeah. Yeah, by Kate Purdy and mm-hmm. Raphael Bob Waxberg, mm-hmm. who also created BoJack. Um, it's incredible. Yeah, that, that show is beautiful. It's entirely rotoscoped, and, like, the backgrounds are literal oil paintings. Like, it's fantastic. So there's a lot more women making animated shows right now. I think it's a really good time, and things are changing. But, um, yes, historically, it's been mostly male. Yeah, and I don't know. In my mind, I'm like, is that because, like, dudes are the ones who are, like, playing video games in their basement early on? And, you know, I don't know. Well, when all the shows are made by men about men, then that's what the audience is going to be. So then when you make a female show, you have to then bring more women to watch something that they're not used to being for them. I think that's part of the difficulty as well. Uh, Right, and also women... And then men watch it, and they're like, this isn't for me. I don't like it. That means it's for nobody. Because there's women (laughs) masturbating and they're actually cartoons of birds, so that's not the same as porn. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of barriers. (laughs) Also, women aren't funny. They aren't, no. Yeah. Yeah, I think Christopher Hitchens 
it definitely cleared that up for everyone. It's a, it's a drawback when you're a woman that you're <laughs> not funny. Um, so I don't want to harp on, you know, when Netflix canceled the show, but I want to, I want to talk not. about it. We're not going to harp. I just want to talk about it in the sense of this kind of shit happens and it's, and it's unfair and it's anger inducing when it's your own thing. And I guess I just think also it's helpful, I think, for this particular audience to to understand, you know, what did what was your process like after? What was the journey after that? And I know, like, I heard after your the show po- was canceled. Well, I heard your podcast episode talking to Emily about it, yeah. and there was, you know, a page went up immediately to save Tuca and Birdie, and there mm-hmm. was this huge Which has been outpouring. So nice. I really appreciate like everyone who has tweeted about it and like signed the petition and stuff. Like, it, I mean, it definitely helps. Like, it's nice to. It was. I mean, it was hard because I. I found out like a month before I was able to say anything publicly and that was the most difficult because I was just alone with it and I thought nobody would care. Like I just thought people would be like, well, it was bad. So, um, but the fact that people were like, this is, is a huge fuck up. <laughs> this is a mistake was, it just felt good. I wasn't alone with that anymore. Um, yeah, it was surprisingly emotional and personal. I just, mm. um, I wish I could be like, well, you know, that's just one project. I have a lot, which I do, but like I, put a lot of heart into everything I make. And so when they don't, you know, succeed, then, uh, yeah, it feels very personal. Does it give you, when you think about your next project, do you think about it differently in any way? Um, I'm just going to keep doing what I'm interested in. I can't really, you know, when, you, when you're about to make something, you can't really think about whether it's going to pass or fail or, like, who's going to like it, who's going to care. Like, you just have to kind of keep going back to your own North Star of, like, um, what you're really interested in right. and, like, what turns you on and just go forth. Right. <laughs> that makes sense. Yeah. We had also talked about the you also feeling drawn towards things that make you uncomfortable. And obviously this is an uncomfortable, potentially part of your life right now, but so was pitching your own show. And so was running your own show. And we oh, talked yeah, about I how I didn't think I could do it. Never... The whole time I did it, I was like, I'm going to fall apart. Like there's no way I can do this. Right. Um, so having gone through it, I think that was really uh, empowering. What was it like to be a boss? <laughs> <laughs> it's hard. I'm not used to like, I don't really like, being hierarchical, like I, it makes me a little uncomfortable, even though it kind of has to be that way in mm-hmm. order for things to run smoothly. Um, I don't know. It's just hard to like sit in a room with 15 people all looking at you and being like, so what do you think? And I'm like, I cannot make up my mind about this right now. I have to go into like my own little room and sit and think about things. Like I just, I'm a slow processor. Um, whereas like some people are more extroverted and like can, you know, think on the spot and mm-hmm. like, I don't know. Um, yeah, I had to learn to kind of step into that role a lot of times and sort of just pretend like, okay, I can pretend to direct voice actors. <laughs> even I so don't you had never doing. directed voice actors? No. So what, how did you do it? Um, well, Raphael sat with me a lot and kind of coaxed me through it and taught me like what he learned from working on BoJack. I mean, that was what was most helpful is having so much of the same team from right. BoJack. So I've known these people for five years and they're all there to support me. Um, like, you know, you can't do things like that alone. You need people to like, you know, that you can look to and be like, am I being insane right now? And they'll be like, no, or yes, you're being crazy. Um, You just need those people. Right. Um, I think asking for help is something that is a really good quality and not... I've had to learn that. 
I'm really bad at it. You are? Yeah. I like yeah. to just kind of handle everything myself. <laughs> I don't like to be a burden to anyone. Right. Uh, I don't like to show weakness. Like that's mm. a big thing, especially, right. you know, as like a female boss, you don't want to be like, I don't know. I'm always worried like, oh, I'll seem too emotional. I'll seem sick or I'll like, just seem like incompetent. Um, that's like a huge fear of mine. Uh, but yeah, sometimes you're just exhausted. Like I like to lean on like, well, I mean, I don't know what I'm doing, but here's what I think you should do. I do that a lot. And it's like, it's like a tick, you know? And I actually did have a boss who said, you have to stop a male boss who said, can you stop saying you don't know what you're doing? I'm the like, thing is like, people say like, oh, you should stop being like that and you should be more like, you know, a typical boss. But I think the opposite is true. I think more people in general should be like, yeah, I don't know what the hell I'm doing, but it's fine. Right, I should have told him he like, should apologize for himself more. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's actually, it's okay to apologize a lot and it's okay to ask questions. And like, I don't know, there was like one part where a director, uh, uh, Aaron Long, he's directing episode six and he was like, the beginning of this script, I just don't really understand what you were going for. And I was like, yeah, you know what? This is bad. I wrote a bad opening scene. If you want to throw this out and make something different, go for it. Um, so he made this like crazy thing where like Tuca like spits out gum and then a guy stomps on gum and like does it to a beat like it's crazy um, and it's it makes me laugh so hard every time I see it and that just totally came from his brain so right and also the fact that you are the kind of boss who he felt comfortable saying like I'm not like help me like I want to I want to make this better is it yeah. okay if I make this better you yeah. Know? Um, I wanted everyone to like bring their own creativity to the project and it made it so much stronger, I think. I also wonder like, now that I'm thinking about it, not that this is my therapy session, but like maybe, <laughs> maybe it's like, it's not that I'm apologizing because I'm like, you know, like it's a tick, but I actually am not sure. I'm just yeah. verbalizing it. Sometimes I'm not, not to say sure, I and like sometimes, I don't know, I just like want everyone to feel comfortable right. like saying what's on their mind within reason. Like, um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, I mean, I, if someone's like, wow, you made a bad choice with that, you know, voice actor, I don't want them to say so. Like, just let it go. But um, uh, yeah, I want everyone to be able to speak up and like pitch jokes or whatever. So when you were, so when you say directing voice acting, because I'm in the podcasting business, mm -hmm. not so in the um, visual world, you're, uh, you've got Ali Wong and Tiffany Haddish mm -hmm. in a room, like That's playing amazing. your characters and you're like, you're supposed to direct them. Yeah. So how did that go the first day? I don't even remember. I think I blacked <laughs> out. Uh, like, are you like, both can, you, can you say that line, Ali, like a little bit more somberly? Yeah, I mean, and they're both really different. Um, and like, I mean, they're both incredibly good at it. I mean, Tiffany just came in and would just like, she'll just give me three line readings in three completely different ways, which is difficult. Usually when someone says a line reading one way, they're gonna stick to that way and say it over and over again. They'll be like, I love you, I love you. And you're like, can you be like more aggressive? And Tiffany would just do it three completely different ways. Um, and then Ali was just such a good actress. Like I was really surprised by her range because I'd only known her like stand up. Um, and we just auditioned her for Birdie. We cast Tiffany very early on and then we spent a while trying to find the right Birdie to like balance her out. Um, and yeah, Ali just really blew it away. They have a really, really wonderful rapport together. They do. And they know each other from stand up. So okay. they would like, whenever they came in together, they would gossip and it was cute. <laughs> And did you know, so you said you, you cast Tiffany right away. Did you have her in mind when you were? Yes. Um, well, no, I just, I saw Girls Trip and I went, that's a Tuca. Uh, uh. So that's <laughs> the 
first person we're going to ask. Um, and then I read an article, and it said, oh, her agent, Joel Zadak. And I was like, I know Joel. Um, he's Raphael's agent. He's my boyfriend's agent. So easy. Um, so then we were able to get her a script, and she read it on her flight to Africa, and she really connected with it. And then, yeah. And then she emailed and said she liked it. And I cried. Did you cry? <laughs> I did cry. <laughs> That's awesome. And I mean, their friendship, again, it's interesting because they're you said they're friends in real life and their friendship is really um, profound on mm -hmm. the show. And uh, I, one thing I want to talk about just in like, where does the friendship part come in? Have you had friendships like that that you've channeled? Have I you think had that was the hardest part of writing the show and pitching it in a way is that I kept worrying that I'm not a good enough female friend to make a show about female <laughs> friendship. And I've talked to other women who feel the same way. And I was like, what are you talking about? You're the best female friend. Like, what? I think we just see these portrayals of women as like having slumber parties and like calling each other on the phone five times a day and having that kind of relationship. And I don't really have that. Like, I have a lot of different friends. You know, I have like, like Emily Heller is one of my best friends, but you know, she's like, we podcast together and that's m the majority of what we're doing. Like sometimes we'll go see a movie, but like usually we're just podcasting and that's our chance to catch up with each other. Um, I have other friends I like go out to dinner with, you know, I mean, I, I have horse friends, like, and I think it's okay to not have like one person who's your main. Right. Um, but then, of course, I made a show where they are, they do kind of have, like, yeah, a relationship. I don't think there are any other friends. Do they have other friends on that show? No, and I think it's kind of bad. Like, they, their relationship is a little bit, um, what's that word? Uh, codependent? Yes, a little codependent. And it starts to, like, you know, the pressure starts to mount. And it kind of, it's, you know, when you've been friends with one person for that long and you're both kind of moving in different directions, how are you going to, like, should you stay friends or not? Or, like, how is that going to change? Right, and in that way, I think there's a way that I look at them as one person, mm -hmm. sort of two sides of the brain. Yeah, I like, mean, well, like, I broke them both, so that definitely they both came yeah. from me. It's not about friendship, it's about you. <laughs> <laughs> oh no, kidding. I made a show no. about myself. Oh no. <laughs> <laughs> um, I wanted to talk about, uh, Again, the reason that, that I was so struck by Tuca and Birdie and wanted to get you on the stage was because, you know, I'm in a business and a lot of us are in a business where there's models of how we make shows. So, you know, I'm working on something right now and, you know, someone will be like, oh, we should do it. You know how heavyweight does it? Why don't we do it like that heavyweight does it or mystery show or something? We have these um, sort of things we go to, mm -hmm. um, these iconic or recently iconic podcasts or templates or, oh, that sounds like too much like this and I want it to sound more like that. And, you know, as an artist, you always have these references. Like that's just what, mm -hmm. that, that's part of being an artist and I think that's really helpful, but I think it can be really disruptive as well when you're like, but I want to make something totally original. Yeah. And I keep like saying, let's make it like this or like that. You know, let's do the credits like Heavyweight or let's do the flashback scene like this other show. So I don't know why I keep saying Heavyweight, but um, in terms of how things just veer off. And so we talk about like universe building mm -hmm. and then we create this universe and everything works well within that universe. But I really, really am um, motivated by the way you just sort of break form. And one of the clips I wanted to play, as soon as I saw it, I was like, what is happening? And it's, you know, and it's, um, it's not in the category of like women are gross. It's, it's so um, viscerally, formatically kind of different. Ah, such a tragedy. So young, so many questionable decisions. Luckily for Tuca, 
Her dim bulb of a brain was bright enough to stick close to Auntie Tallulah. Yeah, okay, Auntie. Let's rein it in. Maybe we should switch to beer. Huh? Oh. Or not! Bring us the beer teenies! <laughs> so I should say that's Tuca and her Aunt Tallulah, who... Played by Jennifer Lewis. Jennifer Lewis. Um, oh, God, that's good to know. Um... Yeah, Antalula is, I don't know, how do you describe Antalula? Uh, she's a real, she's a, a souse, is that what you, she drinks too much and she's, she gets kind of mean. Yeah. A little abusive. Yeah. Verbally. Yeah. Uh, but she sort of gives um, Tuca money to pay her rent. Yeah. So it's a little bit of, a, of an issue. Yeah. Um, and it's one of my favorite episodes. Yeah, why is that? Uh, it just feels very emotional to me and like, um, I like the, the other I like Birdie's story in it where she like goes to this empowerment meeting and like learns to empower herself but then she gets into a different context where it doesn't work and she doesn't know how to empower herself and then the wires get crossed and like, yeah. Yeah, and meanwhile, um, Tuca is visiting her aunt and, you know, reminiscing about her childhood and you get this sort of insight into who Tuca is a yeah. little bit because mm-hmm. she presents as just like, you know, like I'm cool, I don't care about anything and... and um, and then all of a sudden it switches from animation to what? What is that? What are? What so that is was, that that's um, so suddenly not animated? That was stop motion with like popsicle sticks and yarn. And then um, some of that was done digitally. Uh, like the characters were, were animated uh, digitally, um, but they look handmade. And yeah, that was um, director Amy Winfrey pitched that and I loved it. She said, let's just bring in some popsicle sticks and yarn. Yeah, she was just like, I want to make like a tree out of yarn. And then like, and I was like, yeah, that sounds fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely do that. <laughs> that happens a couple times in the show. And also, and yeah, I also. There's wanted... like puppets in episode four that are really oh, fun. Yeah, there are puppets. Yeah, Alison Dubois, the uh, art director, made the puppets. And she made like a toilet that looked like a bush with like little leaves. It's just incredible. Yeah, I really, really admire that. And um, in a similar vein, I was talking to one of our sound designers who's a real fan of the show, and he was talking about the way that you work with music Mm -hmm. and the way that the sort of dialogue sort of fades up and into out of the music, and it seems to extend it. Were you, how were you involved in the music and how were you thinking about it? Because if you uh, haven't watched the show, the music is amazing. Yeah, the music is done by, um, well, we have our music supervisor, Andy Gowen, Gowen who um, got us some songs licensed, but then most of the music was made by uh, Jesse Novak, who's a composer. Um, and it would just be like, I want this kind of feel for this scene, and he would just make something. Um, he's incredible. And then for a lot of the songs, like I wrote the songs and I would just like record myself singing and then I would send him the recording and he would make (laughs) it into a song and send it back. Um, And then he would come in and we would like coach the actors through singing, which is fun. Like we worked with a lot of actors who hadn't really done singing before. And um, yeah, it was just so much fun. I am not a musician, but I like to pretend I am and like make up songs all the time. So (laughs) it was just a fun opportunity to indulge that. Were you um, told as a child that you couldn't sing? No. I was in choir and stuff, oh, okay. but I was just never like okay. a musician. My parents told me that I couldn't sing. That's so mean. It totally ruined, ruined that part of my life. <laughs> 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 um, 
Okay, so I wanted to ask you, we sort of covered it already, but I really wanted to know what it's like to be in a writer's room. Because I have a little bit of like a fantasy about the writer's room and how it must, like, yeah. how, I mean, we do it a bit where I am when we're working on scripting and we get into a room and we all work together. Um, how did it work on Tuca and Birdie? Um, we had like maybe eight writers more or less rotating in and out. So sometimes there would only be me and two other people in the room and sometimes it'd be a full house um, depending on who was out working on scripts. Um, it was my first time in a writer's room. And did you hire everybody? I did. And how did you, like, were, how did, was it just like, oh, you're, I like you? Or was it, I, yeah. I need to look for different kinds of writers? We interviewed people and I just went with my gut on like, who seemed like they would be, they would know what they were doing, because I didn't. Um, and then, you know, I had people who I knew were good at jokes, people who I knew were good at structure and story, and like, um, I just chose people who I thought would get along too, because I just, I mean, in the writer's room, you're in that room for like, you know, eight hours a day for 16 weeks. So if there's a bad egg in there who's like got kind of a toxic or, mm -hmm. you know, negative. Did you have to fire anyone? No. Okay. <laughs> you really want the juice, don't you? Um, <laughs> she wants the juicy stuff. Um, no. Everyone was great. Um, everyone was very sweet. It was very supportive. We told a lot of really personal, vulnerable stories in there. And, and did they, end, did they, they end up in the show? Yeah. A lot of things um, worked their way into the show. Um, and I just wanted it to feel like a really safe space because when, we, when you're in the writer's room, you have to like be able to share that kind of thing and just have like you know, grist for the mill, as it were. Um, yeah, it was hard, but it was fun. And how did it, uh, how did, you have talked about and backstage and also in, in interviews, like social anxiety. How did it, do you feel like you <laughs> reached different points in that, having to It's funny how that? you can think of yourself a certain way and then you can just adapt to anything. Right. Like the first week, my whole neck was sore just from like turning to look at people <laughs> and like nodding and then like, because I'm just not used to that. I'm used to sitting alone in front right. of my computer um, and I just felt exhausted by it. But then I just got used to it and after a few weeks, it felt very comfortable to just be in a room with these people all day. And did you have a feeling, again, that you... Because, I mean, having watched BoJack and Tuca, it's, it's not even... I don't even want to compare them, but I feel like Tuca and Birdie gets very dark very quickly sometimes. Tuca and Birdie? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Like, um, again, somewhat unexpectedly, and, you know, as you get, get into, like, the penultimate episode at the Jelly Lakes when we learn about yeah. something that happened to Birdie in her past. Um, and then, of course, we learn stuff about... Tuki's pa Tuka's past, it gets, um, it gets, it, it gets really hard. And like, how do you think, and you know, we, I work on some shows also where it's like the balance between comedy and tragedy and tears and laughter. Um, did you have a sense going into it, what kind of balance you wanted? Yeah, I just, um, I wanted it to have that tone. I think a lot of my work has that tone where things are a little bit somber and like, sad stuff happens, but then ultimately it's a very positive, optimistic mm -hmm. kind of feel. Um, and I think that reflects my own personality. Um, Would you say it's laugh, laugh, cry, laugh, or laugh, cry, laugh, cry? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I don't have a specific pattern. You don't that have I a percentage? It's all by gut feel. Um, it's, you know, it's like you're working with a blob of clay and just mm -hmm. as you sculpt it, you kind of carve away the things you don't like and you leave the stuff you love and then you've got your you got thing. The thing. Yeah. I don't think very form formulaic 
exactly. That's not a word right. about it. <laughs> I don't have a formula. You don't have a formula. No. I'm not a mathematician. I'm an artist. <laughs> okay, I'm not going to have a formula either. Um, I dropped out of trigonometry. Did you actually? Yeah. In it was school? too hard, and I was like, I don't care. I don't care about this. This is not what I want to spend my time doing. And the teacher was like, just stay. And I was like, no. And so I dropped down to, like, the remedial math class. <laughs> and that worked out better? It was fine. Um, speaking of other things, speaking of things that I'm scared about. So um, you, I want to get into horses. Let's get into it. Let's get into horses. So uh, you designed BoJack. You, uh, if anybody follows you on Instagram, they might have seen a note, that, a little essay you wrote in sixth grade where you say, I, you know, people tease me and they call me horse poop. I don't, I don't remember the exact thing. But I'm, I'm wild about art and I want to be famous for drawing horses one day. Yeah. And I think, I mean, I don't know how many people can say they, they became famous for the thing that they said they wanted to become famous for in that sixth grade. A, a strange little um, coincidence. Co I don't, you think it's a coincidence? Well, sort of. Not really. Not really. But like, yeah. It, it was fun to find that later. Yeah. I don't remember writing it. You just found it like in your parents' house? Yeah. Well, I'm, I think it was great. And so you've always loved horses. Mm -hmm. And now you own a horse. Is this the first horse that, yeah. that you've had yourself? I've had her almost a year now. Almost a year. What's her name? Juniper. And how do, you, how do you buy a horse? I found her in a Facebook ad. And what did the ad say? <laughs> horse for sale. It said fancy horse. It called her fancy. <laughs> um, and I was like, this horse looks perfect. So I texted my riding teacher and I was like, this is a silver done fjord that's like her color and her type of horse this is not a drill um and she was like do you want me to take a look like are you serious and I was like mm, maybe and she went for a test ride and she was like here's the news she's perfect for you um so what what I, okay so again as someone who's scared of horses I'm also scared of horses <laughs> what do you but I ride them what <laughs> what part of horses are you scared of uh, I'm afraid of falling and hurting myself. Okay, me too. I'm afraid of being trampled. And me too. Yeah, all the reasons like why. Like kicked from behind? Are you, is it true you're not oh, supposed yeah. to walk behind a horse? I've, I have been kicked. I got kicked in the ribs and it cracked my ribs and uh -huh. I had like a hoof print on my ribs for like a month. Was that from um, Juniper? No, she doesn't kick. She doesn't She's kick. She's a good girl. Um, yeah, that was a long time ago. So, uh, so when you're... Riding and start to rode the horse that she's perfect for you. How is a horse perfect? Like, how do you know that? Because I'm just she's experienced safe, with dogs. But she's not boring. So, like, some horses, safe, but not they're like boring. a beginner's horse where they'll just go where you point them, whatever. But she's got a little bit of, uh -huh. she's got a little spice. She's got opinions. Uh huh. What, like, what kinds of opinions? Like, I want to go home fast. <laughs> Which you can tell because she just starts to run the closer yeah, she gets. Yeah, and I'm like, whoa. <laughs> and then I try to stop her and she's like, no. And what kinds of, like, because... You know, if, if anybody's read Coyote Dog Girl, I was talking to him about this before. I love Coyote Dog Girl. I think Thank it's you. so funny That's and my Western so graphic novel. It's your Western graphic novel. Yes. Do you want to say anything else about it? It's really, I don't know. It, I will say that it features a main character who is a Coyote Dog Girl. Yeah. Is that her proper name or her Yeah, Coyote species? Dog Girl. She's like half Coyote, half Dog Girl. Right. She has a horse named Red. Mm-hmm. And at the beginning of the book, she's talking, well, they're having a conversation, except Red doesn't speak words, right? Yeah. And Coyote Dog Girl is 
talking to Red. And at the beginning, I'm like, wow, she must be so frustrated talking to this horse who never talks back to her. And then as I'm reading, I'm like, oh no, the horse is talking back to her, just not with words, because it feels like she's having a satisfying conversation, even though he's not saying anything. And I wanted to capture that kind of aspect of being a horse girl. We were like, I love you. I love you. We're bonded. You're a wild creature who loves me. And this is very special. And the horse is just like, uh. Like, I think, I think horses are kind of largely ambivalent <laughs> towards us. So they're kind of like cats-ish? Um, no, they're their own thing. But like, you know, my horse isn't like a dog. Like when she sees me, she's like, oh, it's you. Hello. She's not like, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God. Thank God it's you, you're here. So what do you get out of that? Like, how does that, what do you get out of a, I don't, a relationship with a horse? It's very hard to describe just something about being with her, just like, makes everything else fall away and it just like calms me down and like it's just very uh it just engages all five senses and um I have to like be kind of I have to calm myself down because if I'm scared she'll be scared and like I'm the pilot of the plane. So is that part of it also is that the feeling of being nervous and then calming down? Yeah that's a big part of it um you have to you know they kind of mirror your own behavior back at you so if you come to the barn in like a bitchy, horrible state of mind, that will be reflected back at you immediately and it's not going to go well. So you have to like let that stuff go. Wow. That sounds like a reasonable replacement for therapy. Yeah. I mean, I do both, but... <laughs> okay, good. Um, and how often do you go see her? Uh, four or five times a week usually. Oh, wow. Do you always ride her or when you have not a horse, always. do you just hang... Can you also hang out? Sometimes I just hang out. Like brush her? Sometimes I just brush her, take her for a walk. Yeah. Wow. Well, it looks like a really, when I, when I look at it, it looks like a really good relationship on Instagram. I have another thing it's just good. to, in case no one has seen. Is Aww. that Juniper? <laughs> is that her? Yes. I think that is her, right? In she all the potato. pictures, in all the pictures of you with her, you're so, you seem so calm and happy. And it makes <laughs> me feel like I can get, like I can get behind the horse thing. Because I've yeah. never, I've always felt like I want to, like I have some envy of, when I was a kid, of all the girls who were horse girls, you know? It is nice to, like, have one thing in my life that I am always going to love and be obsessed with. It's like a driving force. Like, it is ridiculous, and I wish I didn't love them because they're dangerous, they're expensive. Like, it's an insane hobby. Um, but it just makes me feel so self-actualized. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, I really like it. And they live a long time, right? Yeah. How long do they live? She's 13 now, and that's pretty young. Like, she might... Make it to 30 or so. Hopefully. Wow, that's a good thing too. I want to get to some audience questions, but I wanted to just um, also talk about your podcast for a second because yeah. this is a podcast conference. Oh, yeah. And I asked you um, when we were talking earlier about uh, why did you decide to do a podcast? And you were like, my mother asked me the same thing. Yeah. <laughs> this my mom your... was like, I don't see what you get out of this. <laughs> <laughs> so it's called Baby Geniuses. You've been doing it for more than seven years. Yeah. And talk to us about what the show is and what, what you do get out of it. Uh, I started it because I started hanging out with Emily Heller. And on one of our first friend dates, she was like, oh, I used to have this show in San Francisco and I miss it. And I was like, you should do a show again. And she's like, cool, do you want to co-host it with me? I was like, yes. And I didn't think it would actually happen. But and wait, you didn't know each other that well when you Not started that well. It, it was like our third time hanging out. 
I, yeah, I did something similar where I met someone and I was like, do you want to write a book together? And we wrote a book together. And now, Isn't that fun it, to it, just it, take a leap of faith with someone? Because it could go really poorly. Yeah, we basically all had a blind date. And I the mean, thing same is, with like my, my partner, Adam, like we barely knew each other and I, he, we went on a two week road trip together. Like it was just, and we've been together 10 years. Um, but yeah, sometimes it's just fun to jump into it with someone. You just right. get a good vibe from them and you're like, yeah, okay. And there's also less at stake if it doesn't go well. It's not like it's ending like a 10 year friendship. Yeah, exactly. There yeah. Was, it was very low stakes. And through doing the podcast, we got to know each other better. Um, and we still like surprise each other all the time. It's very fun. And we just, um, it's like loosely knowledge-based, so every week we read a different Wikipedia page. We used to have guests, and then that got too hard to just constantly book people, so we stopped. Um, <laughs> I'd we, like you to know, do that. <laughs> it's kind of like constantly evolving. We add new segments sometimes. Uh, right now we have a segment called Chunch Chat, where we talk about Martha Stewart's pony, Ben Chunch. Oh, I think that might be the, how do you pronounce it? Um, well, it was Ben Chunch, and now it's Ban Chunch, and I don't know why she changed it. She changed the spelling. It's like one of the deep mysteries of Martha Stewart. Have you ever had her on the show? Martha Stewart? No. Okay. I think she's bookable. I don't know. Anyone she's, here ever booked Martha I've, Stewart? I found it difficult. <laughs> All right. Well, she's bookable. Do we have a clip of that to play, actually? Oh, can we it's play time for Chunch Chat, our regular segment where we talk about any news in the world of Martha Stewart's pony, Ben Chunch. <laughs> When the clock strikes noon, we could have a picnic lunch, fine wine, full moon, and we're chatting about chunch. Is that your song? Uh, I'm just checking Martha Stewart's Instagram, and um, it is Labor Day Monday currently, and she's on a Labor Day ride. Um, this will be a couple weeks late when it comes out, but she is taking like a POV video of a whole big gaggle of ladies riding their ponies through a field. <gasps> and she's just talking about, well, this is one of the benefits of living in Bedford, Connecticut, is that we can ride across the field. <laughs> and it's just starting to rain. Um, and the person in back is riding a little black horse, and I was wondering if it was Ben Chunch. Um, she kind Ooh. of pans the camera away and doesn't mention them, so maybe it's not, but I just, like, I'm curious to know if if this is one of Martha's ponies. Kind of looks like it. Oh, man. And She's just really trolling you now. I know. Well, also, his penis is out, so maybe she kind of pans the camera away. And like, it's like, ooh. Just as the dick comes out, so I think maybe she didn't want to mention it. <laughs> is it... Do you have, a, you have a girl horse? Yeah. Is that part of the decision? Of I'm back at horses. Whether or not I got to see that dick? No, like, yeah, like, is it, like, did you... Is there something... Did you have a, a I don't did know. you have a I like, preference? I like mares because they're moody, which I relate to. Mm -hmm. Um and I feel like they're more complicated, mm -hmm. but they're loyal and they have strong opinions. And they're just a little like more complicated. Like if you want like a less complicated horse, you get a gelding, which is like a castrated stallion. And they're just, they're kind of mellow, easygoing dudes. A castrated stallion. That's what most horses that you ride are. Really? Geldings, yeah. But the mares are more, like, They can relatable. be iffy. Yeah. You know, they can have certain times a year where they're just, like, because like, right. they're in heat or whatever. Oh, wow. Um, uh, I just want to come full circle on the fashion. <laughs> so you went ahead and you made... What, Ben Chert? Ben, ben Chunch. What is it? Is that like Welsh or something? What is that? I just, because it's constantly, you know, the spelling of it changed from Ben to Ban, so I just wanted to combine. Oh. So are these um, sweatshirts and shirts still for sale? Yeah, they're, in, they're on Threadless. Okay, good. 
just you know some merch for. I fans. was going to buy one, but I had a hard time picking the color, so I'm still yeah, making a decision about that. There's too many options. There's a lot of options. Um, okay, so we have a little bit more time left, and I thought if anybody wants to ask a question, we can do some Q and A. Ann. I make an arts and culture podcast in San Francisco at KQED. Oh, great. So super art nerd. Um, I have a question about not podcasts. So in BoJack Horseman, there's this like texture in the clothing and in the trees. And it's something that's like not just a solid color, right? It's like a watercolor. It's watercolor. Mm -hmm. So there's um, in your illustrations before the show, that was something that I felt like was already happening. So I'm wondering, because it's, I've never seen it in other places. Did you have to pitch like, let's do some texture or let's like play with how we're using um, color and like background or yeah, background just, um, yeah, just using those kind of textures and watercolor. Like, did you have yeah. to fight for that? And like, Good what was question. that like? Good That was actually um, pitched by Mike Collingsworth, who's the supervising director. So he's in charge of like making everything animate and look good. Um, and Raphael, the creator, were both like, how do we make this look more like Lisa's comics? Well, she does these watercolor paintings. So can we make this look like a watercolor painting? So I did all these like watercolor washes. Um, and then later we used textures from other sources. But um, yeah, so like that texture on Bojack's fur is like my watercolor painting. Um, and actually it was a real pain in the ass to do because we had to make these textures and then, you know, so you have to draw the thing and then color it and then have these textures in. And it made all the files enormous and it makes it difficult to animate because when they change position, you know, the texture needs to track so that it's not jumping um, as they move and, oh my God. So I don't know if I would do it again, but <laughs> definitely made, we know it set the show apart a little bit in appearance from other animated shows. Lessons so I, I guess I don't regret Bojack. it. Yeah. <laughs> That's a great question. Mm -hmm. Anyone else? Here's somebody. Hey. Hello. Um, I just wanted to ask, so like I work in podcasting and oftentimes I get overwhelmed by the sheer number of podcasts out there in the world. I'm just like, oh God, like I can't listen to all of it. I like, it suddenly all starts to sound the same to me. And I wonder as someone who works across like many, many different forms of media, um, do you feel like you have to keep up with what other people are making in like comics and TV, like and fashion? Um, do you, I guess this is like a multi-pronged question, I'm sorry, but like, do you feel like you have to keep up with what other people are making? Do you get overwhelmed and sick of it? And then what do you do when you feel overwhelmed and sick of like the water you're swimming in? This is a fantastic question. This is what everyone who's creating anything <laughs> has to struggle with. Yep. Um, there's just so much out there. It's a real glut. Even just looking at Instagram, you're just bombarded by like beautiful images and it just constantly feels like you're getting left behind, you're being left out, you're not keeping up, you're being replaced by someone who's like you but better than you. Um, and I think you just need to have just a, enough of a taste of that to motivate you to, to keep up your game, you know, to challenge yourself. If your thing is like, I draw roses, well, maybe you gotta pivot and draw monkeys. I don't know. <laughs> like, you just have to, I mean, for me personally, I get bored easily, so I don't wanna do the same thing week after week, anyways. Um, you know, I could have just easily kept to drawing pet portraits or doing illustrated movie reviews. Like, those are two things I was known for, but I, I kind of just want to keep surprising myself. Mm -hmm. um, uh, so yeah, just enough of that to motivate you to like be like, oh, that person's so good. I want to make something good. Like I think that's a good thing. It's right. okay to feel a little bit 
competitive, but if that starts to get into a petty area where you're like, I hate them, they're my enemy, I must destroy them. Then you should turn Instagram off. They're your they're your peer. Like they probably feel that same way about you. Maybe um, you can ask them questions. Maybe they can help you. Like you can be like, hey, how did you get that? Like, do you have any advice for me? Like you can always ask people for help. you can just know that you are providing your own value to things. It's about um, knowing in your heart that you are worthwhile, <laughs> which is really difficult. You should get a horse. Um, <laughs> I mean, or a therapist. Or both. Uh, I, I would also say that I find it really helpful to get out of the medium that I'm working in. Mm-hmm. So, you know, go to more museums, read books. Going to you museums know. is fantastic. I don't do it nearly enough. No, I got here Tuesday. It's Friday. I'm Wednesday. I'm still trying to go to a museum. I might go to a museum later. But, you know, putting yourself outside of the regular world that you're in is so important. Don't just look at stuff on Instagram. Like, go for a hike and look at nature. Yeah. Yeah, Let's go see what people were painting 300 years ago. Like, go on a, you know, try to go out of town if you can. Everything is going to feed back into your own work. So just coming back to like who you are, what you care about, what makes you happy, and kind of you need to shut out all the noise of everything yeah. else. It's, it's really difficult. It's very hard. It's hard. We all, we all feel like we're drowning all the time. So, Good question. Read yeah. poetry. Next. <laughs> I, have, I have a question over, oh. here. over here. Hi. Hi. I'm Heather. Hello. Hello. <laughs> Thank you for this, first of all. Thank Wonderful. You. Um, you, Lisa, you just you continue to, to meet groundbreak lots of firsts and um, are pioneering, you know, to use, I don't know. I suddenly feel like I'm going to cry. I know. Well, seriously, <laughs> I, I just, it's, it's super cool. And I think um, with that, it's, and Paula, with you, with what you do, um, do you feel like you got the support in the marketing and the, in the, you know, the spice and all of that stuff that is needed for something like that, that is happening? You know, it's like, do we need to tweet more? Do we need to complain more? It's like, why are you taking these things from us that we love? So I'm looking at, are you getting the support? And if not, how can we all rally and do that? I mean, from from the fans of my work and from the show, I feel so supported and buoyed, like incredibly Mm. so. Um, Like, I feel cherished, (laughs) which is all anyone can ever ask for in this world. Like, we all deserve to feel cherished. Um, And... I'm just excited, like, knowing that whatever I make next, well, there's going to be people who are excited about it. So, like, as an artist, like, I'm so happy about that. Um, (laughs) Did I feel supported by the marketing from Netflix? Well, I'm not going to talk about that today. Um, (laughs) Maybe later. Um, But, uh, yeah, it's, it's hard to get the word out about anything you're making and to, like, make people care about it when it needs to be cared about. It's really difficult. Yeah, and I think a lot of us do a lot of that work ourselves. I mean, on social, we had talked about that on Instagram and et cetera. We do a lot of that work ourselves, and that can be very exhausting. It's like, I made this thing. Here's the thing I made. Here's the thing I made. Look, check out the thing I made. But what choices, I mean, what choice do we have sometimes? For certain things I make, I'm just okay with it having a smaller audience. Like, my podcast, like, I never really worry about having more listeners, more is better. And I definitely could be better at promoting it. But for me, you know, I mean, my podcast is not my main thing. I almost see it as like a hobby, even though it does bring me income and I want to keep doing it um, and I want to keep growing it. I'm not worried about it growing exponentially. Like I know know it has a limited audience and that doesn't mean it's bad. Um, Right. Some things just aren't going to be for everyone and that's fine. Like that's intrinsically like what makes them good. 
Um, so that's a little bit of a contradiction, but. No, I don't think I don't think that's contradictory at all. I think that's Thank right. You. Some things. It's, it's hard, like as women too, we're kind of used to being like um, minimized and ghettoized and like being erased by history. So I think we constantly have this pressure to like not be forgotten, and we need a wide audience. And uh, but like, I don't know. It's okay to like. I mean, like, so many people don't know who Nicole Holof Center is. And I'm like, she is, like, one of the best directors. She has so many great movies. But, like, when I mentioned her, people were like, I don't know. But, oh, my God, she's incredible. Yeah. Well, there you go. Go watch her stuff. Please do. Um, we have time for one last question. Hey. Hi. I really like your work. I came across the hot dog book in college, <laughs> and it was wonderful and super grounding. And I always felt really comforted when I needed anything, so I read that. And I was curious about like what content, whether it's reading or like movies or whatever, that's grounding for you when you need it. Oh, that's a great question. What is grounding for me when I need it? I have some comic books that I go back to over and over again. A lot of them made by friends of mine, like um, anything made by Jillian Tamaki or Eleanor Davis or Julia Wirtz, like is such a funny person, Kate Beaton, um, all of those just feel like, oh, this is my home. Like, I love this stuff so much. Um, um, I just, I love reading books. Like, <laughs> I like books. I love books. <laughs> I have this, like, that library app, Libby, and I'm constantly, like, checking out books on there. Um, this year I read Jenny O'Dell's How to Do Nothing, and it's, like, so surprising. It's not what you think it's going to be, and it's just, like, I think it just changed my life, that book. I, oh. I love it. She just, she writes about like bird watching and like just noticing things and then she'll like reference some art piece and, and kind of tie it in and it's like meandering and it's just, um, it's just a really interesting way to write a book and see the world. It's great. Yeah, do, doing nothing is actually a, a great thing to do. Yeah. Um, okay, so I want to wrap it up. I want to say thank you so much for coming. In the category of other creative outlets and different things you can do, I did want to end on something that um, I had found that I loved that you did that I don't know if anybody knows about, but you had you did a music video. Oh, yeah. For Tegan and Sarah. And so again, there's, it feels like your the, the things you can do and the way your mind works is sort of limitless. Um, it'll be the last thing we hear, but um, I wanna thank you again. And if there's anything else, it, you had mentioned something in, in uh, backstage about this video and oh, what it yeah. meant to you and well, what you thought about it. Well, when I was asked to make it, I did not know how to make a music video, but I just said yes, because I just wanted to pretend I did. Um, <laughs> just you say know, yes, When Tegan guys. and Sarah ask you to do something, you don't say no, because uh, <laughs> they're amazing. Um, and it was really hard, and I had to like hire animators, and I had to, I com composited the whole thing myself in After Effects, which I had to learn how to use. So there's a lot of little mistakes in there, but... Um, uh, it was just a really fun project and it was a good example of like, you know, challenging myself, doing something that made me uncomfortable, like, but because I had a deadline and I was, you know, trying to do a good job for these people I love, uh, it made it possible. And yeah, I just, I feel very personally connected to this video. Oh, good. So I'm glad we're going to play it. Thank you, everyone. Thank you so much for coming. Thank you, Lisa, Thanks, everyone. for coming. Keep doing what you do. And here's a... Uh, Tegan, Sarah, and Lisa. <laughs> that was Paula Schumann and Lisa Hanawalt speaking at the 2019 Work It Festival. 
Both the festival and the podcast are produced by WNYC Studios and are made possible by major funding from the Corporation for Public Broadcasting with additional support from the Annenberg Foundation. Event sponsors include Luminary, Spotify, Spreaker, Acast, Himalaya, and the Women's Foundation of California. <laughs>